Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 13, if you would. 1 Kings 13. And uh, we're going to read this morning a fairly lengthy passage of Scripture as we kind of see this event unfolding here. I think there are some valuable things for us to glean uh, from this, this passage. Some very valuable lessons that the Lord would have us to learn. And just to kind of, before I have you stand, I want to kind of set the scene for you and let you know what's going on. We have uh, the, the kingdom of Israel has just been divided in two. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, has taken the throne and, and really made a mess of things and, and uh, began to kind of drive away and alienate a lot of the people. And this is a, a result of something the Lord said he was going to do because of uh, the wickedness in the family and things like that, that he was actually going to take away part of the kingdom from uh, David's line and David's family. And so uh, that's exactly what happened. Ten of the tribes of Israel went and followed a man by the name of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He became king over the northern tribes of Israel. Rehoboam, that descendant of David, maintained really only Judah and Benjamin. The priests followed him. And really throughout the Old Testament history and the history of the nation of Israel for a, a long portion of time, you have this divided kingdom that's taking place and, and really a nation that is split in two. Well, as this has happened now, Jeroboam, the one who is leading those northern tribes, has gotten this idea, you know, I, I've got the majority of the people behind me. What I don't have is the place of worship. After all, what made Israel unique was their God, right? And Jerusalem was the place where the temple had been built, Solomon's temple, and that was the place where the people went to worship. And he got to thinking in his mind, if I allow my people to go back to Jerusalem to worship, it's possible that their hearts are going to be turned back toward David's family, and, and I might lose the influence that I have. I might lose my kingdom. So what he decided to do was to set up his own system of worship. And he built two separate altars, one in the northern part of his kingdom, one in the southern part of his kingdom, uh, golden calves and altars there where the people wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. They could worship right where they were. He took of the lowest of the people, the Bible tells us, and he anointed them to be priests in those, in, in those places. And Jeroboam has just basically invented his own religion in order to keep the loyalty of the people. Always beware of a state-run religion, okay? One of the, the key tenets of Baptist distinctives has been separation of church and state for good reason for a long time. But here we find Jeroboam now worshiping at one of his altars, the one there in Bethel. Bethel is that place where the, the word literally means the house of God. It was the place where, if you remember, God met with Abraham and he met with Jacob in that place. It was a, a place of spiritual significance. And now Jeroboam, the king of the northern kingdom, has defiled it by putting these false idols and false altars in that place. We find him there in Bethel offering on this particular altar when we come to 1 Kings 13 and verse number 1. If you're able to stand with me as we read this together, I'll invite you to do that. 1 Kings 13, beginning in verse number 1. It says, And behold, there came a man of God 
out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he, that's this man of God, cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name. And upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought, besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored uh, him again, and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. Pay special attention to verse number 8. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place, for so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way, and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, what way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread, nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. Notice these words, but he lied unto him. So he went back with him, and did eat bread in his house, and drank water. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher, 
of thy fathers. And it came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. Thank you. You can be seated. I know we read a large portion of scripture there this morning, but it was important for us to, to take into account the things that had happened there. God sent this man to Jeroboam, a man, a prophet, no doubt, a man of God, who was there to prophesy and cry against this altar, to decry the wickedness that had come under the leadership of Jeroboam, and to prophesy of what would come and how the Lord would deal with that particular sin and wickedness. God used him in a mighty way to even momentarily turn the heart of King Jeroboam and to show him his error and his sin. However, just a few verses later, this man is killed for ignoring the voice and the word of the Lord to him. You know, the Bible is full of examples of people who started well, but didn't finish well. It's full of examples of people who, for a time, did that which the Lord would have them to do and were maybe even greatly used of the Lord, but later in their life or at a, another time, they dishonored the Lord and the end of their life and the legacy that they left behind was marred by their own failures. I think of Solomon, the one who actually built the temple, the one uh, who the Bible says was the wisest man that ever lived. God had given him special wisdom. And he was a wonderful king for a time. Until in his indiscretion, he multiplied wives unto himself. And not only did he multiply wives unto himself, but he took wives that were not godly, who worshipped false gods, and the Bible says that those wives turned his heart away from following the Lord. That would be one example of someone who started well, didn't finish well. I think of King Uzziah, wasn't it, that, that started so well and did so well, but in the end of his life he became uh, wise in his own eyes and went into the house of the Lord to offer incense there in the place that it didn't belong to him. And he ended up finishing out his life as a leper because... He took it upon himself. I, I just think there are a lot of people in the scriptures that we could point to who had a good start but didn't finish well. And this man, the man that is referred to here as the man of God, the prophet, we don't know his name, but here's what we know. He was greatly used of God, and yet his life ended in tragedy because he disobeyed the word of the Lord. And tonight, today, I just want to take some time and consider with you some, some, some aspects of, this, of the life of this man in this particular account, really just events that happened on a particular day that I think give us some insight into his downfall and his failure. And I'm going to call this spiritual danger zones. Some areas that if we're not careful, we too could be caught up in, in some things that could uh, become a downfall or a failure in, in our life. There are some things that the Bible describes here about this man and some things that, that, that God had told him and, and even the way he responded to those that I think give us some clues as to why by the end of the day he quit listening to what God had told him. So I want to go back and with all of that as kind of a backdrop, I want to look at 
a few of these spiritual danger zones that you and I may find ourselves in if we're not careful. Let me say to you that you might find yourself in a spiritual danger zone immediately following a great spiritual victory in your life. This man had been used of the Lord to go uh, to uh, Jeroboam and to, to cry against that altar. And by the way, it went well for him. He goes there and he says that uh, God has told me that this, this altar uh, is going to be destroyed one day. The, the, that men's bones will be burned upon it, the very men who are offering sacrifices here. And there's a sign that's going to come to pass to prove that this will, will happen, that the altar itself is going to be rent, it's going to break, it's going to crack, and the ashes are going to be poured out. And that's exactly what happened that day. And Jeroboam stretched forth his hand to, to say, lay hold on him, get rid of him, get him out of here. And when he did that, God actually gave him paralysis in his, his arm and his hand to where he had to ask this man of God to pray for him. There was such an impact that, that, uh, that God did through this man that Jeroboam himself said, I want you to come home and, and, and eat with me and I am going to give you a reward. I'm going to give you money. I'm going to pay you. The very man that he prophesied against had had such a change of heart that he was willing to give him a reward. That's a pretty significant spiritual victory, isn't it? But can I tell you that when you experience sp uh, spiritual victory, oftentimes that actually gives you a, uh, uh, some spiritual fatigue as well. Spiritual victories are not won without battle. And there is a battle taking place any time that you confront issues. Any time you're having to deal with sin in your life or, or, or whatever it might be following the will of God, you will find yourself facing spiritual battle. There's oppression. There's difficulty. And when the battle is over, you can expect there to be some fatigue. In those times of spiritual fatigue you may find yourself in a place where you are more vulnerable to satanic attack. I want you to notice in verse number 14, it says, and, uh, he, he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. This, this man, after he had left Jeroboam and continued on his way, at some point he just had to sit down and rest a little while because he was no doubt weary from that which God had given him to do. And Satan will often use times of weariness to really discourage us. Uh, he, he tends to view us as being vulnerable at that point, and that's often the point of attack. I think of Elijah, who just a few chapters ahead of here uh, was there on Mount Carmel having his big showdown with all the prophets of Baal. And that day, by the end of the day, those 450 prophets of Baal were, were killed, and the people had been shouting, the Lord, Jehovah, He is the God. It was a great victory for Elijah, but by the very next chapter, where do we find Elijah? In a cave, asking that God would take his life, because he's just worn out. He cannot fight anymore. Even the Lord Jesus faced temptation from the enemy, Satan. 
after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. And there, 40 days fasting, fasting in the wilderness, the Bible says that afterward he was unhungered. And the spiritual victory that he was uh, experiencing there in fellowship with his father culminated in some physical weakness and drain that left him, were it not for his deity, left him open to attack and temptation. We would be foolish to think that we are somehow immune from this as modern day Christians. Often we will find ourselves in a situation, maybe it's uh, 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 something that God has given you to do. Maybe you're witnessing to someone and, and, and giving the gospel. Maybe there's some, some issue that you need to deal with and, and stand up for what is true and what is right. And you go into that prayed up and, and spiritually strong with the armor of the Lord. And when that time comes to an end, you kind of let your guard down and you let your hair down and take a breath. And I just want to say to you, when you find yourself in that place, be careful. Be careful. Because you could be open to deception from the enemy. Do you know the time that I have to be most guarded spiritually, personally in my own life? Sunday night after church and Monday morning. It's just a reality. I, I've spent most of the weekend and, and Sunday especially in prayer and in the word and, 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 I, and I'm pouring myself into the work that God has given to me and it, it ends in me being uh, mentally and physically exhausted and just worn out. One of the things that I, uh, I, I joke with my wife, uh, I, I used to do quite a bit was we'd come home from church on a Sunday night and, and I would uh, take my church clothes off and put on something more, more comfortable, you know, some loose fitting clothes or something. And I would come and I'd stand in front of my recliner and I'd get everyone's attention in the house. And I'd say, okay, get ready for it. This is the best part of the week right here. And I'd sit down. And I meant it. There's something about it. There's a sense of relief like, okay, uh, I need a little breather here. I need a little break because I've just been through some, honestly, I mean, you're facing some spiritual warfare. You're dealing with issues and there's something to, there's a relief that comes when you're done with that battle. But you need to understand that when the battle's over, you need to be ready for some surprise attacks. We, are, we, we can find ourselves in a place of spiritual vulnerability, a, a spiritual danger zone after victory. Secondly, we find ourselves in a spiritual danger zone when we believe that our work is done. When we believe that our work is done. I want you to notice in verse number 7 of our passage here, it says, And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way, and return not by the way that he came to Bethel. 
Have you ever read through this and wondered, why did God tell this man, not only did he say, when you go there to Bethel to prophesy, uh, make sure that you don't stop. You're not going to stop there and eat, and you're not going to drink there. You're not going to get comfortable there. But not only did he tell him that, he said, when you go home, don't turn and go back the way you came. Go home a different way. Why would he tell him that? Now, I will admit to you that this is some surmising on my part. As I've thought through this and really considered this. But here's, here's the conclusion that I've come to. If God gives me a job to do, he says, go there and do this task. As soon as I'm done with that, if I turn and I go back down the road that I came on, I'm going down that road with this idea. The job that God gave me to do is done. I've completed what he told me. However, if he says, go and, and do this thing and then continue on a different way home, as I'm walking on this different road on the way home, I'm actually, this, this thing that God gave me to do, it wasn't the destination, it was just a stopping point along the way. I'm continuing on following his direction for my life. Folks, I think that there's something to this. I think that the Lord was actually warning him here and saying, uh, listen, man of God, I, I'm, I've given you a task to do, but don't turn around and think that your job is done just because that you have uh, completed what I gave you to do there at Bethel. You go on a different way because the will of God is always forward. And friend, can I say to you today that there is something else that God has for you to do. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been serving God, maybe you're at some point in your life that you feel like you've kind of checked off everything that God wants you to do, and now you're just waiting for Him to call you home. That's not the reality of God's will in your life. You need to go home a different way. You need to continue on the road. Listen, God has something for you today and tomorrow if he allows you to wake up and have breath and the next day and the next day after that and the life lived in service for God is never done. It's never complete until the Lord calls us home. Our work here isn't done. And, and folks, I know that it's easy in this life to become really content with uh, what we've accomplished and, and, and just kind of lay back and say, okay, I've done what God called me to do. It'd be easy for us to do that. However, as long as God has given you life, he's given you purpose. He's given you something else to do. And you put yourself in a dangerous place when you think that your work is done. Hold your place here in 1 uh, Kings 13 and go with me to the New Testament, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter number 12. In Luke 12, Jesus here is speaking, really, of the danger of this, feeling as though we have somehow arrived. Luke 12, and uh, look at verse number 16, if you would. It says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow, all my, or bestow, bestow my fruits. And he, he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, 
Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? You know, I think that we possibly have grown accustomed to this in our Western culture and this, this concept that we live by that, that really the goal of, of working and, and doing the things that we do in life is to store up for a good period of time where we're in retirement, you know? We want to save up some money and, and, and have things paid off and accomplish the things that we want to accomplish in life so that when we reach a certain age or a certain point, we can do just this. We can sit back and relax and take our ease and say, okay, I've done what I needed to do. Now I'm just going to enjoy life. And folks, I want you to know I'm not against retirement. I'm not against your uh, you enjoying your later years of life and having some things, uh, some nice things at that time. But I want you to know that that isn't God's will and purpose for us. Just to work for a while so that we can stop and not do anything else. And really, you ought to be thinking, and those of you who are at that retirement age, and, and maybe you've even reached that level where you're not having to work, or at least not having to work as much, you ought to be looking at your life through the lens of what does God have for me to do in these years? What can I do for the glory of God? I, I'm not just to sit back and stop. My, my service to God isn't a thing of the past, but it is a thing of today. I want to live for the glory of God today. And whatever God has given me to do, I want to do that to the best of my ability for His glory. Because just about the time that you think you've arrived, you're going to be caught off guard, friend. I fear that God wanted this, this man, this young man, this young prophet of the Lord to be used to, to maybe do other things for Him, but he had felt that he had accomplished what God had given him to do. And he was willing to be done, to be satisfied with that. You're in Luke 12. Look over at verse number 42, if you would. It says, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing of a truth, I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and to drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, at an, at, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers." Wow, what is he saying? He's saying this, don't think that your work is done. Don't assume that you've got all this time before the Lord comes back and it's really not a big deal. No, he says, blessed is that servant whom when his Lord cometh, he shall find him so doing. I want the Lord to find me when he calls me home or when Christ returns. I want him to find me actively serving him. I don't want to stand before God and say, Lord, all those years ago you used me to do this or that. I want to be able to say, Lord, today this is what I've been doing in the service of the Lord. I want to occupy until he comes 
like he told us to. Go home a different way. Keep going onward and forward. Never stop. Don't turn around and go backwards. Keep pressing on for God. One more place here in Luke, chapter number 16, if you would. Or 17, rather. Luke 17, verse number 7. Look at this. It says, but which of you, Luke 17, 7, but which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. Now this might seem like a strange thing to you that Jesus is saying, but he says, listen, if, if you've got a servant, if you have an employee, someone who works for you, and their job is to, to work the fields and, and take care of the farming aspects of things, but also to make sure that you've got meals cooked for you and all that, that's their job to do. When they come in from the field, you don't say to them, oh, you've had a long, hard day, sit down. No, he said you would say to them, hey, I, I'm hungry. You need to make me something to eat. And then later on, once you're done with that, then you can eat. But your job isn't done yet. And here's what he's saying. Listen, when you have done everything that I've commanded you, don't look at yourself and pat yourself on the back and say, hey, I've done a good job. Say, you know what, I'm an unprofitable servant. I've only done that which I've been commanded to do. You know, a, 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 an employee who really uh, is respectable, who, uh, who who's, sets himself up for promotion, is someone who is willing to go in, above and beyond the call of duty, isn't he? Not someone who says, I've done the bare minimum to get by, and I expect a raise. You know, I expect to, to get treated really well because I've done ex uh, exactly what I've been told to do and nothing more. No, that's, that's not the heart of a, a, a person who's really wanting to do their best. They're willing to go above and beyond. And folks, in the service of the Lord, don't try to get by with the bare minimum. Look at your life and say, God, what, what else can I do? How can I go above and beyond my reasonable service, my reasonable duty? How can I continue serving you even once I've maybe completed some things in my life? Paul even spoke of himself and he said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. He said, I, I'm not living my life as though I've already arrived where God wants me to be. I want to keep pursuing. I want to keep following. I want to stay busy for the Lord. We put ourselves in a spiritual danger zone when we experience spiritual victories and we let our guard down. We put ourselves in a spiritual danger zone when we believe that our work is done. And then thirdly, as we go back to 1 Kings 13, we put ourselves in a spiritual danger zone when we become content listening to what God has revealed to others rather than walking with God ourselves. The biggest problem with this, you notice verse number 1, it says, and behold, there, became, there came a man out of, uh, uh, excuse me, a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. Verse 2, and he cried against the altar, 
in the word of the Lord. Look, if you would, down at verse number 9. He says, For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, and drink no water, nor turn again the same way which thou camest. Look down, if you would, at verse number 16, or 17, rather. He says, For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. All the things that we see this man doing up to this point, he was doing because God had told him to do them. He, he went to the altar because God told him to go to the altar. He wouldn't go back with Jeroboam because God told him not to go into anyone's house. He was doing that which God had revealed to him. But then we come to verse number 18, and there's an old prophet that enters the picture. Again, a man that we don't know much about. He's in the city of Samaria. He's a... He is an old prophet that probably remembers what things were like, maybe under Solomon's reign, maybe even under David's reign. But now he's living in this northern kingdom under this false religion of Jeroboam. And he hears of this prophet. And I don't know if it was just maybe a loneliness, maybe... He heard of how the Lord used this man, and he thought, man, I, I remember when God used to use me like that. I want to get to know this guy. And so he comes to him, and he finds him. He's sitting under an oak tree. And he says, won't you come home with me and eat with me? And, the, and this, this man of God says, no, God told me I can't do that. Look at verse number 18. He said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But then it says this, But he lied unto him. So he went back with him. This man, really his failure culminated when he took another man's word for it. This man who said, well, I've heard from God just like you have, and God told me that you're supposed to come home with me when God had not told him that. But if this prophet would have said to the old prophet, listen, sir, I don't know who you are, and I'm not sure what the Lord has told you, but until God tells me otherwise, I have to follow what he's commanded me. He would have been safe. But he let his guard down. And he was willing to say, well, listen, I lived my life for so long with this idea of God spoke to me, therefore I'm going to follow him, but now I'm willing to take this guy's word for it. And here's the amazing thing about this. This old prophet, the Bible calls him a prophet. What does he say? What does it say of him? He lied unto him. Well, how could a prophet, how could a man of God lie? Because we're all sinners, folks. We're all capable of failure. And this, this old prophet was wrong. He had sinned against the Lord and he sinned against this man. But by the end of the chapter, it's not the old prophet that's dead. It's the man of God who quit listening to the voice of God and started listening to the voice of man. And folks, there's a lesson for us in there. Don't, don't let the words of man lead you and guide you through life. You need to have the voice of the Lord. You need to be in fellowship with God. You need to be walking uh, with the Lord and know what he's leading you to do because people are flawed and people will fail you, but God never will. 
this man came to a tragic end. The Lord actually took his life because he disobeyed and disregarded the clear command of God listening to this old prophet that lied. And to me, the most tragic part of this isn't just the man of God. The reality is he's probably with the Lord in heaven. He was probably a, a saved man, a believer in the Messiah that would come. But the saddest part about this is as we look down to the end of the chapter, verse number 33, look what it says. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him and became one of the priests of the high place, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became a sin under the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. You want to know what the tragedy is of this? The tragedy of the failure of a man of God was that the wicked continued in his wickedness. Jeroboam was at a point at the beginning of the chapter, I think he was, he was shaken. I mean, he saw, wow, God's hand is on this man, and I better listen to what he has to say. But after this man failed and he fell, it actually emboldened Jeroboam to continue in his wickedness. His testimony was shot. And therefore the message that he carried no longer had authenticity in the mind of Jeroboam. Because the man that he once thought was respectable, honorable, and godly had proved himself to be disobedient to the Lord himself. Folks, do you realize that when God's people fall into sin and ruin our testimony, it has consequences that go just beyond just our lives, and it actually has an influence and effect on those around us, that it will affect your family members that you're trying to influence for truth and right and with the gospel, It'll affect your coworkers and neighbors and those who watch you. It'll affect your community. It'll affect your church family. I'm just saying that, that you need to realize that the tragedy of this whole story is that God put a man in a place where he really had an opportunity to turn the nation around. But because he let his guard down, because he believed his job was done, and because he quit listening to the voice of the Lord... The end result was that his life ended in tragedy. But Israel wasn't any better off spiritually. Folks, can I just encourage you today to remember that you have an enemy who is seeking your destruction. He's looking for opportunities to tear you down, not just to destroy you, but, but, but to tear down the name of the Lord and his reputation and the testimony that you have for him. And because of that, because there is, because there is a, uh, because the Lord's name really to some degree is at stake here in your life, in your testimony, because there's, there are souls at stake, we need to be guarded and cautious and conscious and realize that you may have started the race well, but you need to be interested in finishing it well. Don't, don't give in. Don't let your guard down. Understand that 
The enemy is always out to attack you. He's going to try and tell you that you've already been through the battle. You can let your guard down. He's going to try and tell you that, uh, that, that your job is done. Just kind of relax and take it easy. He's going to try and tell you that you can listen to these reliable men of God. You know, I was just reading today an article of a, a well-known um, kind of evangelical uh, teacher and preacher out there uh, who is followed by a lot of people who's really basically reversed course in, in a lot of his positions and, and, and even apologized for preaching the truth of, of the Bible and offending people in the process. And, and folks, I just want to say you cannot put your faith in man. No matter what you think of him, no matter how much you respect him, don't put your faith and confidence in the words of man. Walk with God. Have fellowship with the Lord. Be in the word of God. Have a prayer life. And follow his leadership for you. Because until your race is run, until you are called home to be with the Lord, he still has a purpose for you.